This is NFA Talk, the show that talks about guns and gun rights, keeping you up to date with what's currently going on, from the newest guns, promotions, and events, plus how we're lobbying for your rights. All right, the season two wrap-up show of NFA Talk. Joining me tonight, we have our interim president, Blair Hagen, our interim vice president, Rick Igersidge, and our man in Ottawa, Charles Zatch. How are you doing, guys? How's it going? I hope you all had a great holiday. Uh, we're moving into the new year shortly, and and uh, unfortunately, we're, we're pre-recording this because it's the busy season. We were going to plan everything live, and things just didn't work out with the timing. So this is going to be one of our few shows that it is pre-recorded, but we're still going to we're still going to go through everything that happened in season two. So uh, where do you guys want to start? I, I mean, let's. I guess we should start probably from the from the beginning, right? Season season two, we we went into it very rough. Uh, you know, we still had uh, we still had the liberal government in power. They're still in power now, but uh, you know, we we were at that point we were fighting C twenty one, and we really talked about it with uh, episode four there, and you know all the all the implications that was going to come in with C twenty one. I don't know if anybody wants to to talk about that. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion about C21. Uh, a lot of people uh, still think uh, the bill is uh, before Parliament. Uh, the bill did die uh, when the uh, federal election was called. Liberals will probably bring it back in some shape or form. I mean, this is one of their issues that uh, they they really want to communicate to their uh, supporters, uh, the, the uh, very, very few diehard supporters of uh, civil disarmament in Canada. But it is one of their things. Uh, they may try to bring it back in some form. But again, <laughs> you know, the issue is a little more complicated than just passing legislation because uh, the bill does encroach on uh, uh provincial uh, authority over property and will be challenged by several provinces in Canada if it ever sees the light of day. Right. So, so Blair, they, they kind of, they kind of promised that they were bringing back C21, but f- what it looks like is they're going to bring it back. Plus, you know, we're, we're also looking at a, a you know, possible uh, handgun ban and uh, there's rumors, um, you know, that the anti-gun groups have been posting up other firearms that they would like to see added to the list. I mean, it's in. I mean, you know as well because you work at a firearm store. Like the FRT is consistently changing biweekly, right? And, you know, there's a few more guns that just got added to the list. Yeah, and that's very dangerous, and uh, it's very irresponsible as well, uh, because uh, the greatest number of these firearms uh, were in the in the non-restricted class, uh, no regist- registrations associated with them. Uh, the government. Uh, has not or should not have any idea uh, where they are, who owns them. The number of Canadians that this affects, and we've seen this previously with other actions of this government, which are just as irresponsible uh, as this, the issue with the uh, uh, Ruger 1022 magazines, simple changes in legislation that they think are simple have wide ramifications on Canadians who have demonstrated that they are law-abiding, want to be law-abiding, and this government doesn't care. This government doesn't care how law-abiding you are as long as you fall in line with their edicts. And that's very dangerous because uh, I think all of you will agree we're seeing a lot of sentiment out there going, do I want to continue to be law-abiding? Can I continue to be law-abiding? When people start questioning the law and questioning the intentions of uh, the government of Canada, that's very dangerous. 
you know, C21 did die on the uh, order table, you know, before the election, of course, you know, but um, our new public safety minister, Marco Mendocino, um, has basically reiterated that that will be resurrected, like you said, Blair, in some shape or form. But um, I think it'll be it'll be more than what they were talking about in C21. One of the major things in C21 was that it was going to be kind of a there may be some kind of a buyback, maybe not. Right. Well, they've come out and actually said that it will be a mandatory buyback. Now, what's interesting about his statement, um, he basically said he prefaced it by saying that we were we are listening to Pauly, the docs, Wendy Tsukir and everybody else. Right. So and uh, I've done a little research in the lobbying registry and I'm not seeing a lot of official communications going on between Bill Blair, public safety, PMO or anybody else from these so-called uh, anti-gun groups out there. So to me, it looks like they're either um, mining this stuff from social media or there's some kind of clandestine communications going on in the back alley that is not being registered in the lobby, which is actually against the law. So, and that happens all the time. I get that. Of course, we don't do that. I, I promise that we would always do this above board and we have in our record shows that last year we had 20 uh, lobby uh, communications and that's all there in um, on the lobby registry under lobbycanada.gc.ca you can check that out but just just peruse through there and see what's going on uh, what's a really what's really, really interesting in this and you'll find this very amusing is that um, like Wendy, Wendy Tsukier used to be of the, of the coalition for gun control used to be very heavy into the lobbying of the government and she was actually paid to do this which is ludicrous in itself but she is still a lobbyist for ryerson university and they've had a lot of interaction with the government under the under the premise of research and analysis nothing with public safety um nothing with uh um you know with uh, bill blair and nothing with uh, marco either so once again you know we're we're, we're seeing Liberals are saying we're listening to the anti-gun lobby. Well, are these secret talks? And here's the here's the real rub. We've been trying to talk with the PMO, uh, Bill Blair, Marco Mendocini for a long time now, and he's not talking. Right? The PMO last year had four thousand two hundred ninety-one official communications, and uh, public safety had one thousand one hundred thirteen. So they're talking to people, but they're not talking to us. Why would this surprise you? This has nothing to do with public safety. This is entirely political. It has nothing to do with public safety. I'm not surprised. But the fact of the matter is uh, uh, the government will use uh, pressure groups like uh, uh, Wendy Sukir's uh, to sort of buttress their arguments uh, when it's needed. Uh, right now, it's not needed. Uh, the government has its own agenda. It's always been this way, even in uh, back in gun registry days. Um, I, I don't think, you know, it, there's a tendency here to be exasperated, and I know we're all exasper exasperated by the political treatment of this issue, but, I, you know, we got to get over it and just have to come to the conclusion they don't care. They're not going to listen to us. They're not going to listen to anybody in the farms community. They're not going to listen to rights and freedoms voters. They're going to follow whatever agenda that they feel they need to follow. They've basically written off most of the country, and they're comfortable with that. 
Right. So we were we were talking, Charles. You were talking about the uh, mandatory buyback. Now, Rick, you're you're also you're you're a gunsmith. So are are you going to be prepared to to do these deactivations if if that's the case? Because the, I hear the government's going to give you an option. There, you either hand it in, they give you a very small amount of money for your for your purchase or for your firearm, and or you can uh, have it deactivated at their cost. So be, being a gunsmith and and Rick, I know you 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 work with uh, other other gun shops. Are you are you going to uh, are you going to be participating in this deactivation? I will not be participating in the deactivation. Uh, they sent out a letter about six months ago to uh, register yourself as. I don't have a copy of it right here, but they sent a letter out to register yourself as uh, applied to be a gun deactivator. Uh, the gun shop where I work uh, will not have any part of deactivating guns and. Uh, and uh, turning guns and destroying guns. Uh, I don't know what the, the consensus amongst the gunsmiths that I know, not very many of them uh, are going to be doing that. There is uh, there is uh, one shop in Ontario that I know uh, applied for it and will be doing it, but I will not be. I refuse to uh, deactivate uh, perfectly good firearms for that reason. Now, if it was for another reason where a guy just wanted to de- deactivate it, not as far as uh, as far as it being uh, in the uh, OIC, and somebody just wanted a wall hanger for safety, I have no problem with that. But as far as uh, deactivating guns, because that's the only way you keep them, uh, it's not going to happen in my world. Good stance. Yeah, I I, I think people have to re- realize that even if there was like one hundred percent participation by every gunsmith uh, in the country, there aren't enough in Canada to do this. So it's another case of the government going, well, well, we're going to we're going to play hardball with this and they're going to have to make a decision. And, you know, even if you chose to have it deactivated, it's very unlikely that you're going to find a gunsmith who's going to be able to do it for you within the confines of whatever schedule the uh, government comes up with. It's it's they're they're really dreaming in technicolor. They did not think this through. You know, they didn't think gun registry through. They didn't think C-68 through all of their other decisions. They're certainly not thinking this through either because there's a lot of logistics that go into this. So I don't know. Maybe they're just not thinking. Maybe they are that dense because if you know anything about this issue and here we go, here we go again. I mean, we're, we're, we're gun guys. We, we have a certain expertise in this, uh, especially as it uh, pertains to business and industry and the way things happen. And you point these things out to them and, you know, you get the blank stare. It's like, well, this can't be. Our, our exper- experts have told us that it's possible. Well, it's not possible. I, I think the government is going, going to find that it's going to be very difficult to pursue whatever agenda, whatever schedule they want to do with these things, because it's just logistically, I, I, I'm sorry, there's just another way to say it. It's logistically impossible. I know uh, most gunsmiths will uh, refuse to participate just on, on principle. Okay, because they understand what the government's trying to do here. At the end of the end of the day, this is the liberals' problem. And if they want to work themselves into a situation where they can't get out of, like they did with gun registry, and it certainly appears that they're doing it, they're doing a very good job. <laughs> and it's not just it's not just that uh, their guidelines are vague as far as deactivation is. They basically don't have any guidelines because, like you said, Blair, they don't know what they want. They don't know what actually makes a firearm inert. No. You know, I it, it, there's a lot of people out there that could, uh, no matter what you do to a firearm with a with a file and a hammer and a, a buddy with a lathe, 
you know, can fix it. So, you know, it just, uh, you know, it, it's vague. So what do they want? What, and, and they don't even know the themselves. Thing. So, you know. And here's the thing under the, under the guidelines that they do have, every gunsmith who does a uh, deactivation in Canada must personally sign off on that. Your name, the gunsmith's name is permanently attached to that deactivation. And if that firearm is recovered at a crime scene, you're on the hook. Uh -oh. If it's recovered at a crime scene, reactivated, they're not just going after the uh, the perp it was taken off of. They're going after the gunsmith who said it was deactivated. So and you bear personal liability for this as well. And I know uh, we've made the, the when they brought those guidelines in, when they brought that requirement in, we decided that, well, we're just not going to deactivate firearms anymore because it's just too dangerous. And again, it gives you an indication of the, of the liberals working against themselves here. It's like, well, we're going to make all these gunsmiths responsible so that, uh, well, if the gun shows up reactivated, uh, you know, they take responsibility too. And now they propose this where they, well, we want every business in Canada to sign on to uh, uh, to be uh, deactivators of firearms. And it's like, why would we take, why would, number one, why would we participate in, in, in this, this offense against citizenship? And number two, why would we assume personal liability for a gun that uh, might one day wind up at a crime scene. You know, it, it, it's really, I, I, I can't understand it. It's like they're running around like a bunch of chickens with their heads cut off and, <laughs> and, and, and thinking, yeah. you know, aren't we brilliant? Aren't we brilliant? They're not. This is totally in line with uh, the modus operandi of Justin Trudeau, right? So he will speak, you know, these, uh, you know, these words into the, the universe and he thinks that they're going to, they're, they're going to happen. And then when they don't happen, he takes credit for them for actually happening. You know, <laughs> he lives in some kind of a surreal um, world of his own. Okay. Like the record is plain. You know, he says things, he wants to change things. They don't change. He takes, uh, you know, he, he takes credit for, you know, the change that didn't happen. And, you know, he, he goes on. Right. But just to get back to your point about, you know, about him thinking or the, the liberals thinking, you know, who's thinking are the people that are affected. So yeah. they just came up with a little um, blurb the other day about how many people have actually surrendered guns during the so-called grace period. And that would be a big zero. Yeah. Nobody has given in anything. That should be a big signal for the liberals to understand that it crossed the line. Like you said, Blair, what we're forced to do a situation, right? Do we kowtow to a bad law that targets the innocent with uh, unjust laws or do you just resist this and hope for the best down the road and hopefully somebody will come to their side? The sad thing is I don't think they care. They okay. They, they certainly didn't care back during gun registry. Well, if a few farmers don't register their guns and, uh, um, and they're seized by police, we'll just charge them. Law is the law. And look at the civil disobedience associated with that law. They, they really don't. If you own a gun in Canada, you are not their people, okay? And they will come for your rights and freedoms. They don't care about the ramifications. That was certainly demonstrated all through the life of this government with the little changes that they made here and there that threw hundreds of thousands of Canadians into legal turmoil, a legal predicament where they could be charged. And it's like... Well, that's your problem. I mean, uh, you know, the onus is on you to uh, know what the law is and comply with it, not on us to explain it to you or to enact reasonable laws. And 
you know, I, I, it really baffles me that people can't see through a lot of this stuff. And again, I mean, if you're not familiar with this issue, if you're not familiar with firearms in Canada, the way that they're owned, possessed, bought, sold, used, it, it, it really it really goes over your head. But uh, the fact of the matter is the number of Canadians being uh, that happen uh, attacked by this government is phenomenal. And uh, I, I can tell you right now, it's going to catch up with them. Absolutely. So, and, and to, to add on to that, I mean, like the way the laws work too, May 1st, 2020, like you could have had a non-restricted firearm that was affected by the ban. You could be out in the bush hunting and at, uh, what was it at? What, 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 what time was it? It was around 11 o'clock in the morning. You know, Mr. Trudeau came on the TV and said, as, as effective immediately, you know, all these guns are banned. You're out in the bush. You don't have a T, you don't have a radio. You don't have a cell phone. You're, you're out there having a good time. You're shooting on crown land and you, walk out to your truck and there's you know mr police officer and you're now breaking the law right no different no different than the ruger 1022 mags you could have been exactly. on the range that day when they banned them and uh you pulled onto the range as a law-abiding citizen and you leave the range as a criminal because you got a 25 round in your 25 round mag in your possession and it's, a, it has been, it's been a few years since they did that and people are still on ranges with those magazines they don't know but here's the, here's the thing Belair, and you, and you touched on it exactly okay we don't have the resources to enforce it, right? You can make up all these bad laws all over the place and create an atmosphere of fear, but people are not being charged. I mean, look at, we have probably 5 million people out there with guns, right? And I'm like, okay, we have 2 million, 2.1 million, you know, they're actually, you know, re recorded, but we're not, we're not seeing, you know, uh, a concerted effort by the government to, to go after these people. They're just letting them, they've, they've, disappeared into the ether they don't want to deal with this because they know that if they go down that road it's going to go bad for them very bad but it, it no i i, I it, it it would but what is taking place is selective enforcement and i think that's all that mm -hmm. is uh envisioned here they do not see uh, a lot of compliance with these laws and frankly they don't care about that you know if you if you want to comply great you further our agenda. But if you don't want to comply, good, make yourself a criminal. That furthers our agenda too. So they see it as a win-win. People worry about, geez, uh, you know, they're going to come to my door and take my guns away. No, 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 no. It doesn't happen that way. It's selective enforcement. Yep. So Suddenly, one day, your number is up and they choose you. And, and in the case in the case of registered firearms, you know, they they know you have them. You know, they know who has the AR-15s, but they're holding your useless piece of paper called a PAL over your head because they're not going to, they're not going to reissue it. If you don't turn those guns in that you're in possession of, and they know that you're in possession of. And it goes right back to the issue of the license. Everybody thought, Hey, it's benign. You know, why not just get a license? No problem. No, this is the problem. Once they mandate a license for the simple ownership or possession of property, look what happens. You know, and Absolutely. fundamentally we're talking about prohibition and we've gone through this in various forms in history, and it always fails, right? Prohibition naturally in, a, in an economy creates a free market. And I'm talking about the black market now. But that's not regulated. Is this what Canada wants? And the liberals will wear this. You know, they're going to ban this, and people are still going to want to shoot their guns, and they're going to want ammunition. And they will get them, and there's people out there that will supply them, right? So, you know, we're back in you know, the 1920s with the boots, right? We're... You know, back, you know, in time with the drugs and everything else. It didn't work. Right. But people I, got their stuff. 
again, they don't care. We're talking about compliance here. And does, does the government not realize that there's going to be massive noncompliance with these things as there were with the gun registry? Okay. No, they don't care. Not compliance, noncompliance, not an issue. As long as we can say we have it. It's a big, it's a big fishing expedition part of it too, because some people will comply. Then they're going to say, well, you know what? We got some guns off the street here. Some people didn't comply. It's just, it's a vicious circle. You know, if you, if you don't comply, you become a criminal. So basically, so basically you're a criminal overnight and you're, you're a law abiding citizen the next, the day before. So now, now you've got this possibility hanging or this, this cloud hanging over your head that, when are they going to show up at my house and uh, put the handcuffs on me and I'm going to go for a ride in the back of some cruiser? You know, that, yeah, that's, right. they're using, they're using, they're using uh, psychological warfare in yeah. a way with this whole you, deal. You know what, Rick, I think you hit it right on the head. You hit the nail on the head. This is psychological warfare against the farms community. We are one of the chief uh, group of Canadians who really believe in rights and freedoms. There's there's lots of people who support us, who support our Canadian right and cultural tradition of farms ownership. But uh, historically in Canada, uh, people in farms community have been the ones who got out there and fought for it. And you know what? One, we defeated the gun registry. We defeated part of a massive liberal program. And you know what this is? This is payback. Well, we're just going to have to defeat the next one. <laughs> exactly. We've done right. it before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, this is not our, this is not our first rodeo, right? Yeah. So, uh, going on with 2021 season two, what else have we done? We uh, for the first time we did an actual live NFA talk on the road. Uh, that was in Hamilton. Uh, that that was a lot of fun. That was um, that was during our uh, meet and greet that we had at the Silverdale Gun Club. Uh, we held uh, like a barbecue and uh, we did some shooting with with our members and it was it was greatly attended. We we had uh, guys I don't know what over a hundred people there, right? I I I wasn't oh, counting, but it it was like it was nonstop going all day. Um, I you know as soon as it started, people started showing up, and I looked at my watch and I was like, wow, we're we're starting to take down already. Where did the time go, right? Like I I. Didn't even stop for lunch. Um, somebody threw a water at me and said, "Hey, keep hydrated," because it was it was just nonstop. It was a lot of fun shooting with our with our members, and um, yeah, I mean, Charles, you were there. Rick, you were there. Unfortunately, Blair was you know he's, he wasn't able to come out uh, for this event. And, 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 and we got to do a thing that we very seldom get to do. We get we got most of the board of directors together, and we got to actually shoot some guns together and have some fun and shoot some targets and. Have a little grudge match here and there. It was great. Shoot some stuff that uh, shoots. We we brought prohibited stuff. You know, stuff like stuff like that that uh, people don't see too often. Nice. Uh, we that- brought some of that and let let anybody who wanted to shoot it shoot it. You know, we brought the guns. You just have to supply the ammunition. You know, it was it was it was a great it was a great day. And you, you know think, what. Rick, Rick, I was going to say, like, I, I, I think that was one of the guns that was on the one of the firing lines, right? Yeah. Um, that that seems to drive people. They want to try these guns that they that you, you can't just unless you have the twelve six license, you can't go out and and you know purchase one of these. So the the next generation of firearms owners are interested. They want to try shooting these. They want to see why why did this government prohibit it? Like, why is it any different than than a a, a, a normal restricted handgun? I'm I don't know, if, Rick, yeah. if you got. Another yeah, handgun yeah, well, there. I, we, can... Could do, we could do a little bit of a side by side here. There's this is a right. this is a Smith and Wesson model 19, two and a half inch, considered <clears throat> a snub nose uh, 
snub-nosed uh, snub gun revolver. And this here is, uh, I got to bring it up here. This is a Glock 48. And if you compare the two, if you compare the two, you can see that the, the Glock 48 is actually smaller, smaller <laughs> than, the, than the Smith & Wesson Model 19 two and a half inch snub nose. So, you know, there, there, there's our Where, where's the logic, laws. right? You know, yeah, where, where's the logic to that? People look at these guns laying on a bench and go, well, that Model 19 is bigger than that Glock 48. Well, yeah, but the Glock 19 is prohibited by an inch and three quarters. You know, by by an inch and three quarters in barrel length, although it's a bigger gun to start with. There's no rhyme or reason. And, you know, Blair and I, Blair's been talking about this for years, and, and I have too. It just, there's just no rhyme or reason. No, no, there is no logic to it. And, and if they were to uh, uh, sit down and try to make a uh, practical explanation of these things, they could not do it. But they've, they've never had to do that. Okay. Um, unfortunately, uh, when, when it comes to this type of legislation, uh, too often it you know by a lot of people and certainly by media it's accepted at face value well it must be needed and the police say they need it or and support it so it must make sense for public safety and when uh practical demonstration is called for it's just avoided you know we're the gun lobby we have ulterior motives so therefore we don't need to answer your questions we'll ignore you it was interesting about what you just said there is that you know, truth always comes out, you know, well, we want to be transparent if we want to be, <laughs> you know, it, it's all baloney. Okay. So, yeah. you know, and they were forced to actually um, respond to a judicial call um, because of the court cases that are in, are in play um, to justify why they came up with the OIC. Yeah. And what did they do? Right. They used uh, the Secrecy Act, that's 39, <laughs> to hide the reason for banning the guns. So, you know what? They don't have a reason, okay? And you no. know, I guess hiding your non your 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 non evidence, I guess, is is a tactic. But once again, <laughs> you have to understand that you know this government is not about the truth. You know, they're lying to us constantly. They're covering things up. You know, they're spinning things. And like you said, there's an agenda. You know, the, the laws make no rhyme or reason. And you know, like I said, you know, like how, how much how much does a citizen need to take before they just opt out? Right. And don't play the game anymore. And, well, and ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the day, it, it, that's up to that individual citizen. But I'll absolutely. tell you right now, no Canadian citizen should be put in that place. Absolutely. My God, I, I, you know, you know, my worst moments, you know, uh, and I've been at this a long time. I understand how politics is played. But in my worst moments, and it, it's uh, it does really affect me because of the industry I am I'm in. Uh, I sit back and I go. My God, how could any halfway responsible government do do this to its citizens? Whether, whether you like them or not, whether you agree with them or not. I mean, and the analogy I always use is, is, is going back to the Second World War when uh, Canadians of Japanese descent were targeted. Okay? Because, you know, uh, December 7th, 1941, Pearl Harbor gets attacked. And... Uh, the United States uh, certainly uh, took uh, action against uh, its citizens of Japanese descent, but then the Canadian government decided to do the same thing, you know, based on, uh, well, a very re- real fear that, uh, of an attack on the West Coast by the Imperial Japanese uh, Army, Navy, and government. But to target your own citizens, uh, and I think we, uh, today we can all agree that that was uncalled for, unconstitutional, and unconscionable. 
for those Canadians of Japanese descent to be treated the, the way they were. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it, it's not because, uh, you know, you know, there's no racial favoritism here. Those boundaries should not exist. If you're a Canadian citizen, you have certain rights in this country and no government has the right to step on them in that way. And I think we're facing a very similar situation today. Then, well, it's public safety. Well, we don't know which uh, which one of these people are, are spies or saboteurs. So we'll just uh, take them all and we'll put them in uh, camps. We'll treat them fairly and, you know, they'll have, uh, you know, three squares, uh, three hots and a cot a day. And they'll, they'll just have to stay there until the war is over. And, well, of course, we'll take their, pro- their property for safekeeping. And it will become property of the government of Canada. But it's necessary for the war effort. No, I think we all agree today that, no, it was not necessary for the war effort. It was wrong. Um, Canada has taken responsibility for that. But again, today, liberals are doing the same thing or attempting to do the same thing. Well, well, you know what? We're, uh, we're spread out across Canada and uh, our, our people, our board of directors are talking to gun firearms people all the time, day in and day out, and people are fed up. I've never seen so many fed up people with the laws. And it's just not the firearms owners, it's their families. Because, you know, Grandpa had this... Uh, uh, semi-automatic uh, 22 that he's had since the 40s, and now it's it's questionable whether or not it's going to be uh, legal down the road. And people are looking at it and saying, "Well, Jesus, you know what? That's Grandpa's personal property. How can they take that away from him?" Or you know, in, you know, even you know, my dad's passed away for a long time, but my dad had an AR-15. If he was alive today, and I'd be upset if somebody wanted to take his AR-15 A1 that he bought in the early 70s away from him. You know, people, it's it just not firearms people that are getting mad about this. It, it, there's a lot of people getting mad and the word is spreading. And it's just yep. every day people are getting pushed more and more and back more into a corner. And uh, from what I've been hearing, uh, you know, people aren't going to stand for it. You know, no. Blair, you know, I was going to say, too, about, um, you know, the, this change in governments and we're, and we're not or governance. OK, we're, we're not seeing the, you know, the principled ruling you know, by the Constitution, trying to protect, the, uh, you know, people's rights and, you know, that making that sort of front and forefront front of a free country. So, you know, we, we've slid now into something else. It's uh, they're calling it governance by will. So if I have the will to do something, I will do it until I'm legally challenged. And and that's kind of where we are now. The liberals are doing this by and justifying it by polling. So what they're saying is that if the majority of the mob out there you know, want what I am willing and are agreeing with my will, then the rights of those people that are being trampled on doesn't matter because in a democracy, the majority rules. Well, no, you know what? In a a democracy, the government is supposed to be protecting the minority rights and they're not doing that. So, you know what? They've, They've lost their moral authority. I've said this before. And once again, they're just giving them, giving people more reason to opt out. Right. So and once you, like you said, this is a, a personal thing that everybody's going to have to do, but you have to do this on principle. Are you going to become a slave and kowtow to the master or will you stand up and resist and protect your freedom? This is the question you're going to have to ask next year. Get ready. Well, we do have an alternative and this is still democracy and we do have an elections. OK, um, we'll probably have another election, uh, you know, within a year. And we'll have another opportunity to defeat this government. We almost got it done last time, uh, except for a few uh, missteps. And I know we can do it next time, too, because I think uh, certainly for National Firearms Association, 
we want to keep this a free and legal right in Canada. We want to keep this uh, uh, a, a legally maintained right and uh, a cultural tradition for Canadians. We don't want to be outlaws. No, okay? and I, I, th- I think I think there's a little bit of time there too. We t- we touched on this on our last talk that uh, the government hasn't. They don't have anything in place right now to go out and start gun seizures and tracking people down no. and stuff. There's 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 no uh, there's no infrastructure there. There's no uh, there's nothing there yet. So I'm curious to see myself what they come up with before the deadline. Whether there's going to be an extension, whether they're I don't know. I, I very much doubt they're going to talk about grandfathering again. I think that's I think that's dead in the water. But I'm curious to see because right now I, I don't believe they're even close to as far definitely not close to a buyout. But even trying to uh, to go out and uh, start these supposed seizures and stuff, they're nowhere they're nowhere near that as far as planning goes. No. I I really don't think they thought about the logistics of this. Okay, I I really think they thought. In their panic as a government to try and demonstrate that they were protecting, uh, you know, the safety of Canadians uh, on this issue and others, uh, this government has a real problem with that. I think they they thought, well, and it, as usual with firearms laws in Canada, we'll just make an announcement. We'll figure out how to do it later. Yep. We don't have to. We, we don't have to explain it. We don't have to have a plan. We'll figure out how to do it later. And it was the same thing with long gun registration. Okay. They, they they also they also hired a company like they hired IBM to to build this buyback program, and you know from what we've seen is you know IBM is looking at Australia, New Zealand, and they're tr- and they're trying to br- bring that into Canada. But I mean it, like it, different culture over here, we're farther spread apart. There's so much infrastructure, they, and then they they have to go by a budget. And I don't I don't know if the government's given them a budget yet, but I, I'm pretty sure IBM's going. Hey, like, and we talked about this on one of our NFA talks where you know, like, we said it's going to be over 756 million million dollars. IBM's probably saying, hey, we're going to be in the billions. This is like the long gun registry where it's just going to continuously cost. It's not going to get wrapped up in six months. We're looking at an ongoing process of at least probably five years so now you've got now you've got employees you're paying for five years like this is going to be an ongoing thing and for what (laughs) and you know what when you have back-to-back majority governments and no opposition in ottawa you can get away with that but it's a different time it's a different issue and you know what i hate to say that and for any liberals that uh, care to hear it, uh, you've completely destroyed your credibility on this issue. You know, all your claims of the past that we don't want to take your guns. Registration isn't about confiscation. We just we just care about the safety of Canadians. They can no longer credibly uh, uh, they can no longer credibly uh, have any moral authority on this issue. Absolutely. I mean, if they, you know what, if, it's a question of their authority too. Uh, you know. And we all know what happened here uh, not that long ago, an incident where uh, uh, a firearms or a gunsmith was shot and killed by police. Uh, I, I, how, my question is, how? How are they going to do it? Are they going to do it the same way they did that one? You know, there's a bunch of questions on that. We've been following it closely, and, you know, we don't we don't have a lot of facts. That Charles actually could probably comment it more than I, I can. He's been following it closely. And, uh, you know, it just, you know, my question is, how? How are they going to do this? Yeah, you know, the, uh, we've we've all got a long experience in the firearms community. Certainly, myself, and uh, there are there are Canadians out there, and I, I I we all know them, okay, who are so deeply 
passionate about this issue. I don't want to see them placed in a situation where they have to make that decision. Okay, because that doesn't have only ramifications on themselves, their families. That also has ramifications on the future of this country. Okay, Canada, I, I, I think we share a common vision of Canada, the type of people that we are, the type of country that this is. Okay, and uh, thankfully in the past, we've had very, very few instances uh, that, that sort of call that into question. Yeah, every country does. Uh, there are violent incidents that uh, make us sit back and go, what went wrong there? We don't want to repeat of that. How do we treat our citizens better so they're not placed in that situation? I know these people, I don't want them placed in that situation where they have to make a choice because once that happens, and if the wrong thing happens, this country's never going to be the same again. Sure enough. That's a, that's a good point, Blair, but sometimes there's not even a choice to be made. Sometimes you might be sitting at your kitchen table cleaning your shotgun after you've been out duck hunting, and uh, you, you didn't make a choice to, uh, you, you didn't make a choice to do anything, and uh, you know, when somebody comes to your door with uh, with the, with the idea that he's going to seize firearms from your house, he's going to be he's going to be pretty focused and looking at firearms, and you happen to have one in front of you. You know that that's my other point on this whole thing. You know it. You know I you know I talk about I talk to people every day, and uh, you know people are confused and they don't know what they're going to do and stuff. But you know what? They don't even have to do anything. They could be sitting at their house at a kitchen table, and uh, it could go it could go bad real quick. You know that that's what scares me. And you know what's to blame for this? the toxic liberal agenda on guns because to the liberals anybody with a gun in this country and especially if you're law-abiding you have a license you have complied with the law we're a danger to public safety all of the time so for any reason the police have to go to their houses well hey they know there's a firearms license attached to that house there may be registrations attached to that house so it's automatically a danger going in and this toxic liberal propaganda in regards to this, affects law enforcement agencies and law enforcement policies as well. When they go in with the hand on the gun, why? Firearms license, maybe even registrations. Oh, you own a handgun. Hands on the gun because they're ready for anything because you're a danger to public safety. And that's wrong. You know, the you're police, you're the, absolutely the, right. The police, there's, a, there's a lot of police firearms enthusiasts. I know a lot of policemen. Police are good people, but... What the government, what the what this liberal government is forcing them to do is narrow their narrow their mindset and their focus, and it throws everything out of whack. Because a normal guy in a normal situation cleaning his shotgun on the kitchen table would not be a threat. But the fact, with all this liberal propaganda and and pushing that pushing their pushing their uh, thoughts towards the police, it makes it makes their 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 area their 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 focus go narrow and that's when that's when accidents happen and you know and that's yeah. when, that's when things happen you know we're not going to blame the police we're not you know we're, we're not gonna we're not gonna you know i i've talked to i've talked to policemen and stuff and you know the nfa is pro-police we're not we're not anti-police we're not anti-anybody but you know it's it's what the government forces people to do on both sides is is what the big problem is and you know the big thing about this is the rhetoric coming from the government they're the ones that are creating the the narrative for people people to follow. Or, you know, they're you know the social media party out there that's being paid by the federal government right now. They pick this up, they run with it, 
you know, because they've been given their green light to gaslight us and, and, and demonize us, right? But like you said, Claire, this is very dangerous, right? So, I mean, in most circumstances, you know, if you know, you've got a, a situation where you do have, you know, uh, you know, police coming in to do a search warrant thing, um, most people will comply, of course, right? You know, even you know the people that are going to, you know, they're planning to resist and possibly, you know, engage in, you know, civil disobedience. It's going to be a peaceful thing, right? But we all know that's never perfect. I mean, you know, in India when they had their their situation, you know, Gandhi preached about peaceful civil disobedience, right? And of course, that went sideways, left, right, and center. That's the part of resistance. Now, like said, where we don't want to open up that you know, that Pandora's box because our country will never be the same for sure. Exactly like you said, you know, the trust in this government, unfortunately, is gone. Right? Um, they, they, they operate you know, with the, you know, their hands on a lever, but you know, if they're doing it without I sincerely believe without well, I think we've covered that. Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. So, yeah, I, I mean, like, this is great. I think we we pretty much covered season two. We we had roughly about twenty twenty episodes, or this is the the twentieth. Uh, next year, what are we what are we looking forward to, guys? What do, what do we think? Uh, are we uh, well, really, it really depends on, on the life of this government. I mean, we'll see how the OIC pans out. Uh, we'll see what kind of legislation they try and introduce. Um, but I, I, I think we're building up to something politically here. And uh, eventually, this, we're going back to the polls. And this time, we will remove Justin. Absolutely. And I can, and I can assure our viewers that the NFA is going to be working with a vengeance and hard as we've ever worked before this coming year to make sure that everybody keeps their guns. You know what? We're out there all the time. Our directors, our board of directors, our field officers, our regional coordinators, we've got people on this all the time. We're pushing from all directions. Charles is working hard in Ottawa. The NFA has a, a very good focus on what we need to do, and we're going to go out there and do it. Do it. You know, and, Rick, Rick, and, and and remember, we have a lot of friends in politics, a lot of people, a lot of MPs, a lot of MLAs, a lot of politicians who feel exactly the way we do about this, too. So we're not alone out there in the wilderness. This is a Canadian right and cultural tradition. It's widely accepted across the country, despite what the liberals may think. And we're going to make sure that uh, it's finally respected in law, in our culture. We're not going away. We're not going to shut up. And they're going to feel us in the next election. <laughs> yeah. Yes, and I, I just want to piggyback on what Rick said too. I mean, we we worked really hard the last election. We we ran a strong social media campaign. We had billboard signs out there. We we had uh, radio ads. We had magazine ads. We ran hard. I, the next one, we're going to double down because yeah. you know, like I, I said, I'm going to sound like a broken record or or repeating myself, but it was make it or break it the last election. And this is it. Like I mean, this we we. Really are every this is it. every election is make or break. I've seen a lot of these elections. Right. Um, you know, I you know I remember a time when uh, you know there there really wasn't any political hope. I mean, uh, you know, if you think back to the 1990s, there there really weren't a lot of political solutions. But everything changes. Everything changes in this country. The politics change. The governments change. Governments come. Governments go. So while we're 
dealing with this while we're getting ready to go into the next federal election, which is is not too far off, let's look at the type of government that we want to elect and the firearms law reforms that we want to see happen. Okay, because it is possible. It's happened. Nobody ever thought the gun registry would ever go. It went. Nobody ever thought there would be any other reforms under the fire uh, under the firearms laws. There were. It's not a one-way street anymore. No. And you know what? The fuel for this, I mean, we are dedicated and passionate about this this mission, and we're not giving up. Like, you know, like Jordan said, we're going to be doubling down. Um, is money. So we're getting into a new uh, a new year. I I. I call on everybody to donate generously to the NFA, join up, become a, um, a field officer, and uh, get involved at the, the grassroots so that we can fund the fight for you. So um, that's, that's what we're kind of looking for. And, and that's right. And another thing that's uh, really encouraging for me is I'm seeing yet another generation, a new generation, that is getting involved politically in this issue. That generation that came after uh, Bill C-68, after the gun registry was gone, uh, got into guns and is seeing their rights and freedoms under attack now. They're mad as hell and they're getting involved. So, hey, I mean, you know, this this fight is never going to be over, but there's always going to be Canadians out there who will stand up and fight for it. Oh, Charles, you, gotta, you brought a gun with you. So, Charles, for for everybody that's tuning in through one of our podcasts, why don't, why don't you tell us what that gun is? It's a little Beretta uh, 22. Uh, this was actually Israeli uh, air service surplus. Um, the the, uh, the Israeli airlines had uh, um, they had these uh, officers on each one of the planes, and this is what they carried. Uh, <coughs> look at examples where you know some terrorists were dispatched with this gun. Um, you know, it's a small caliber, and I can tell you that it's very accurate. And if you have a, you know, a fast load on this thing, it can, uh, you know, it, it, it's very good for target shooting and whatever you want to use it for. So, yeah, it's one of my little toys. Uh, my my daughters love this. Um, I can't see the sights on this anymore because of my eyes. But anyway, uh, things <laughs> things change. Anyway, yeah. that's my little my little toy. Yeah, see, I I brought one. I brought one as well. I brought the Freedom Audience FX9. And it's the short bill version, so unfortunately the government knows that I, I do have this. And uh, you know what? I uh, I bought this one when we did our when we did our um, our meet and greet uh, at Silverdale. They have you know land shooting supplies. I walked in the store, and at that time I was kind of I was kind of peeved off at the government. I said, you know what? I'm not going to buy any more guns until I f- find out where we where we settle with this. But then you know they keep saying something stupid like they're going to ban another gun, and of course this is how I retaliate by buying one myself, right? So. So um, for anyone, if you've never shot an FX9, they, they are solid. They're great shooters. Uh, this one, it was nice. It was a package. It came with the red dot, so I didn't have to go out and get one. All I had to do was sight it in. Yeah. One, of, one, of my, one of my go-to guns now, since my the government seems to be decreasing my list of firearms that I can <laughs> use, right? So, Yeah, you know, you know. I, 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 I call out to the younger shooters out there. You know what, guys? We need to change some laws so you guys can have these too, because these things are fun to shoot. Amen. You know, this is the, you know, there's no reason why I have a prohibit and you can't. You know, help us out. That's part of our fight to knock back some of those ridiculous classification laws. And, uh, you know, 
We need all the help you can get. Like I I call (laughs) to all the young people out there. You know what? Everybody should have one of these on the range because they are an absolute hoot to shoot. That's a great point. I just want to say this as well, too. Before uh, the the government was signaling about uh, banning the AR-15, we were instrumental in getting people to buy AR-15s. I think it was what they bought, 30,000 or something in four months. Something like that. that. You remember Bill Blair? You know, we had a great little cartoon about AR-15 salesman of the year, right? (laughs) They're talking about um, taking away your handguns. Don't buy one. Buy two. Right? This is the way you retaliate. Right? That is called civil resistance. Do not kowtow to this. Do not be afraid. Buy your handguns. Lands is a great store to go to, too, as well. And and as well as Blair as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it it just, uh, that's, that's the thing, you know, we, this is a, we've got a, we've got a big fight on our hands, people, and we, we need all the help we can get. Like I say, let's get some of these laws changed. Let's, let's get the younger generations having the fun with these. You know what? You know, I just going back there, a two inch barrel, 357 Magnum, man, that's about (laughs) as much fun as you can have with your clothes on. I'm telling you. you (laughs) And and at the end of the day, this, this stuff is property. You know, your father might have a uh, two-inch barrel Smith and Wesson. Why can't you hold the registration for it? It's ridiculous. You cannot. Yeah. It, it it is absolutely unacceptable to treat people's property this way. They have no excuse. Let's change these laws. We can do it. It's absolutely. Not so I'm I'm looking I'm looking forward to 2022. I think we're gonna wrap it up there since this is the season two wrap up show. So. Uh, thank you everybody that's been tuning in, giving us support, sending us uh, messages through our social media saying they love the show. Uh, I, I love being on the show. I love working with everybody here and we, we have some great talks. I look forward to 2022 doing, doing this again. We're going to, we're going to have some, uh, we're going to have some live events as well. We've got, we've got a few things, a few things planned for 2022 and it, it's going to be a lot of fun and, and hopefully we can, uh, maybe make some leadway with this government as well while we're at it. So thank you everyone for tuning in and we'll see you in season three. Happy new year, everybody. Happy new year. Happy new year. Thanks for listening to this episode of NFA talk, like, and follow the NFA on social media and sign up to become a member.